Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 21 on the caring of Abraham for Sarah and Isaac, as well as Hagar and Ishmael, and the caring of God with the blessing of Isaac and the caring of God by making Ishmael a great nation. Now, this message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and also available on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, if you'd like to support this Bible teaching radio broadcast, Friendship with God, you can donate one time or even become a monthly supporter of this program by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Support Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. This great Bible teaching radio program continue to support it staying on the air at 800-247-3051, or you can donate online at Friendship with God. Org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor is the owner and operator of the original Creation Museum, the Creation and Earth History Museum, out here in Santee, California. That's in the county of San Diego, California, in Southern California. And he'd like to invite you out to our free event, Museum Day 2014, at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. It's Saturday, September 27th for this free event from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, September 27th. Now, we've got great guest speakers, including Tom Cantor, Dr. Jason Lyle of Institute for Creation Research, Eric Hovind of Creation Today, Ray Comfort of Living Waters Ministries, and other creationists like Bill Morgan. And this year's theme is Noah's Ark and the Door of Salvation. And Ray Comfort has a movie called Noah's Ark that we'll be screening, as well as the new Genesis 3D movie from Eric Hovind. We'll also have a Noah's Adventureland with rides, games, bounce houses, face painting, and more. And we'll also have an Animals After the Ark show with zebras, zorses, and legless lizards. Really unique animals that you'll see at that show. And again, we've got food and petting zoos. Lots of great events on Saturday, September 27th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Again, Saturday, September 27th, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's Museum Day 2014 here in Southern California at the Creation and Earth History Museum. For more information, call 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or go online to CreationSD. For San Diego, creationsd.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from the book of Genesis today, how Sarah was not focused on God, but what she could see. So God, in verse 13, gives to Abraham a promise. He says, Abraham, take it to the bank. You got a promise. Uh, you got a promise for Ishmael. He's going to be a great nation. And great nations don't come out of mutilated bodies in the desert. Anyway, so the best way to see the difference in the Bible between believers and non-believers is follow the promises. Follow the promises of God and see what people do with them. And so here in verses 12 and 13, God has given to Abraham two very important promises that God is going to call the great blessing, the person who is the great blessing, out of Isaac, and that God will make a great nation from Ishmael. So Abraham has the promise from God to call the seed out of Isaac, and therefore Ishmael must leave. So Abraham believes God, and he sends Ishmael away. Abraham has another promise from God that Ishmael is going to be a great nation. So great nations, like I said, don't come from mutilated bodies in the desert. So Abraham believes God, and he doesn't worry about Ishmael's safety in, in this desert of death. So Abraham has this consolation in his despair, and this consolation comes from the promises of God. And by saying in verse 12, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, see, God's promised 
Sarah was not out of line from the will of God when she was demanding Ishmael's departure. In saying in verse 13 that Ishmael is going to be a great nation, he's promised that Ishmael is going to be safe. And in these two promises, he clutches these two promises in his despair, and he finds peace to go ahead. That's the way it is for us. When we're in despair, we find peace in the promises of God in the Bible. And like with Abraham, whatever our despair is, God has a promise to be the source of our peace. That's wonderful. All right, verse 14. So Abraham's at a crossroads. Abraham, he's heard the shattering words of Sarah. He's also heard the promising words of God. And he has to make a choice. He's going to believe God and obey God and do everything Sarah demands, or he's not going to believe God. And he's not going to do it. I mean, he could have decided to not do what he said. He could have said what Sarah said. He could have said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to build Hagar and Ishmael here, a nice little house and with everything they need, and then, you know, I'll live in Palm Springs, and they'll live in Rancho Mirage. <laughs> so maybe they get that. But this is a crisis that Abraham was facing. So to obey God or not to obey God. And Abraham's decision is what we read in verse 14. Abraham rose up early in the morning, took bread, bottled water, gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder, the child sent her away. Now, the impact of verse 14 is Abraham believed God, therefore he obeyed God and got up early in the morning to do it. Obedience is so important. That's what made Abraham who he was. He obeyed God. He proved that he believed God by his obedience. You know, the Roman Empire, which lasted such a long time and covered so much of the earth in the Roman Empire, you say, what was the key to the success of the Roman Empire being held together? It was obedience. That's what it was. Roman soldiers obeyed their leaders without question. They called them to obey to death. They went to death. That's the explanation for the Roman Empire and how strong and vast it was and how it held together. So Paul's writing his letters to different churches there, different churches, as you know, and there's only one church that he commends them for their obedience, and that's the church at Rome in the book of Romans. No other church did Paul start out his epistle as he did in Romans when he wrote in Romans 1.5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. And so Paul was so impressed with this obedience because the Roman believers came out of Rome, obviously, and they had this ingrained in their mind of how important obedience was. So then he ends this whole epistle to no other church. He ends his epistle in Romans 16, 19, when he says, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. Paul knew that the Roman believers would understand this. That's why he kind of dwells on this subject of obedience when he explains to them in Romans 5.19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And to the Roman believers, Paul explained the relationship between obedience and servitude in Romans 6.16 when he says, Know you not? that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Now, in verse 14 of Genesis 21, in this verse here, what it's showing us is that Abraham is like the Roman believers. He's obedient to the faith. He believes the two promises of God, and he gets up early to do what God commanded him to do, which is the hardest thing that God could ever tell any man to do, is to obey his wife. <laughs> But he does it. So Abraham believes God, he obeys God, and this enables blessings to flow from God. Blessings flowing now. 
because he obeys. Abraham's obedience to give up Ishmael was like a training for Abraham, a training to trust the promise of God and give up your son. Abraham giving up Ishmael, Abraham's being trained to give up Isaac as an offering. And all this is done for our benefit, so that God, through Abraham, could provide you and I with pictures, which is what this is, of God the Father giving up his son to die for our sins. So what we have here in Genesis 21, in many cases God does this. God the painter, he's using Abraham as the brush and canvas, and he's painting a picture for us so that we can study it, like this morning, like we're doing, and learning. Hopefully we're learning this morning. And what are we supposed to learn? We're supposed to learn John 3.16 from this. When we see Abraham giving up his son, Ishmael, we're supposed to see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in this chapter, God the painter, he's busy painting through Abraham a picture of God so loving the world and giving up his son. And this is one of the many indications of the coming of the great giving of God the Son for the world. It's another one of God's in the Bible, stop, think, see. There's another one of God's stop, think, see moments in the Bible, and this one is about God giving his Son. And these stop, think, and see moments are like little clues along the way as we go down the road of Bible history. So another interesting stop, think, see in the moments of Bible history can be seen in a very interesting history of a sacrifice. Now let's say that Scott, who's sitting way in the back there because he doesn't like me. But anyway, <laughs> let's say that Scott and I were to draw straws. Let's say that. And or what the Bible calls lots. Okay. And let's say that we're going to draw these straws in these lots. And both of the tops of the straws, you know how it is, they look the same. But one of the straws is shorter, let's just say. And the person who comes holding the bottom of the straw, see, he's like that, and we can't see which one's shorter. So let's say the rule is whoever draws the shorter straw, he gets killed. Such a nice game. You know, when I draw my straw, that'll be called my lot. And when Scott draws his straw, that'll be called Scott's lot. And if I draw the shorter straw, then my lot is to die, be killed. And Scott's lot is to live. So whoever draws the shorter straw, his lot is to die. Whoever draws the longer straw, his lot is to live. Okay, with that in mind, turn to Leviticus 16, 7 through 10. Turn to Leviticus 16, 7 through 10. 16, 7 through 10. Leviticus 16 is right before Leviticus 17, <laughs> which has the verse, 1711, and life of the flesh is in the blood. All right, but anyway, it's Leviticus 16, 7. Okay, so here it says, And he shall take the two goats... And present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats. See, just like Scott and I, two goats. For one for the Lord, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a burnt offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord, make an atonement with him and let... Him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So here God tells Moses, go get two goats and cast lots. He says, like drawing straws, you know, for Scott and me. And by the casting of these lots, we're going to decide which goat's going to die and which goat's going to live. So the casting of the lots is going to decide the goat that has the lot of death and the one that has the lot of life. Okay. And the strange part about this passage is what the goat is called that had the lot of death. In verse 9, you notice? What's he called? The goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. Now, why would the goat 
who had the lot to die, be called the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. See, in verse 9, the goat that was going to die was called the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. See, that's a stop and think and see moment right there. See what? By calling the goat that was going to die the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, we're supposed to stop and think and see that that means that the Lord is going to be the one whose lot would be to die for our sins. And the strange part about this passage was what the lot of death was called in verse 8. The lot of death in the sentence of death was called the lot for the Lord. It was called that thing. So why would the sentence of death be called the lot for the Lord? In verse 8 it says, the sentence of death is called the lot for the Lord. That's a stop and think and see moment there. See what? By calling the sentence of death for the goat, the lot for the Lord, we're able to stop and think and see that that means that the Lord's lot is going to be to die for our sins. Now this picture that we have here in Genesis 21, 14, of Abraham giving up his son Ishmael, that's a stop and think and see moment also. Where we're to see in Abraham, God the Father, giving up the Son to die for our sins, and see in Ishmael, God the Son, leaving the home he loves, you know, like God the Son leaving heaven, and to go into a desert of death of this world, as in the Lord's case, to die for our sins. Now, okay, verse 14, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, he took bread and a bottle of water, gave it to Hagar, putting on her shoulder, and the child and sent her away. Now, those words... Speaking about Abraham, where it says he took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child. So here we see an Abraham who cares for Ishmael. He cares for Hagar. And we're sure that as we see Abraham giving the bread and the water to Hagar and Ishmael, that Abraham is not saying, well, here's your bread and water. See ya. He doesn't do that. He's saying to them, look, don't worry. I received assurance from God that God's going to take care of you. And he's saying to Hagar and Ishmael, this bread and water that's coming from me is the last that's going to come from me. But the next bread and water that you're going to get is going to come directly from God. And so he's saying to Hagar and Ishmael, while you were with me, I provided your bread and water. But now, this is the last bread and water that you're going to receive from me. Now you're going to learn the great lesson that I've learned in life that unfortunately takes these ways to learn it, that God is the provider of the bread and the water. And you're going to see God as the provider of your bread and water because I'm going to be removed from the picture. And in verse 14 and 15 there, it says, Abraham took a bottle of water and he gave it unto Hagar. And then it says the water was spent in the bottle. But before we go to that, the very, very important phrase there that we need to know. It says that when Abraham gave the bottle, he just didn't, it says he put it on the shoulder of Hagar. Now, he didn't have to put it on the shoulder of Hagar. She could put it on her own shoulder. But it says that Abraham put it on her shoulder. So we see a kindness there. We see a care there. We see a concern there. It's like, here you are, Hagar. This is for you and Ishmael. You will be all right because God's going to take care of you. Now, when we come to verses 14 and 15, it doesn't look all right. It says he gave the water to Hagar. And verse 15 says the water was spent in the bottle. The water was spent in the bottle. So, in other words, Hagar and Ishmael are now forced to think. We've known the water from Abraham's bottles, and now the water is spent in Abraham's last bottle for us. And they transition. And they're transitioning now from seeing Abraham as the great provider to seeing God as the great provider. 
And so this phrase, the water was spent in the bottle, that phrase is so important to us because we look at that phrase and we say, you know, I've gone through times in my life like that. You've gone through times in your life like that when the water was spent in the bottle, experiences like that, where you thought, I'm secure here, and all of a sudden, you're not. You know, I've told you this before. The history of our company is to be fired. We always get fired. I don't know why, but we get fired so many times. We got fired by Nichols. We got fired by Church and Dwight. We got fired by Dr. Gersh. I never told you that story. We had $500,000 worth of business in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, doing all the dialysis testing for parathyroid hormone for bone disease of dialysis patients in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I've never been to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I don't think I want to go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, but some people went there from our company and they got the business. So we got the money, half a million dollars a year. And it was all because of the decision of one man, Dr. Gersh. Dr. Gersh a big important man, was also at one time the head of the health department for the whole state of Mississippi, Dr. Gersh. He's a nephrologist. Anyway, so he's Jewish, in case you didn't know. And so, so one time, you know, the salesperson, so we bring Dr. Gersh to, you know, to San Diego. Okay, Dr. Gersh coming to San Diego. And so Dr. Gersh comes to San Diego. Where are we going to go? Oh, we go to the Marine Room on the sand, beautiful sunset, impress, you know, business stays, $500,000 a year. Very good. So anyway, so we go to the Marine Room. And we're having the dinner there. And I say to myself, well, you know, we may have $500,000 worth of business, but this is my one and only chance to talk to Dr. Gersh's soul, and his soul is worth more than $500,000 a year in business. So I start talking to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, he shuts me down. Just shuts me down completely. And my wife was with me, Cheryl, and John, and Duzer. Anyways, we're there. So I'm shut down. And so then my wife speaks. You know, she waits till I'm shut down before she speaks. And so she speaks. And she says to his wife, who was not Jewish, well, uh, how about you? What do you believe? You know? And right away, Dr. Gersh steps in and says, she is a convert to Judaism. She's converted to Judaism, he says. And so then there's silence, you know, the edict has been spoken. But then my wife, I don't know where she got these words. It had to come from God. It was absolutely electrifying. She says these words and nobody says a word. She's thinking about it, and everybody's looking at her. And she says to his wife, did it not bother you to turn your back on Jesus Christ? Oh. <laughs> it's like, you know, that, that's something you hear on the halls of judgment of eternity, you know. It was like the books were opened, and it was read. Did it not bother you to turn your back on Jesus Christ? He's standing there in all of his glory, you know. And so she says these words, you know, the little, you know, meek Cheryl, sometimes she's me. And so everybody is like in shock, you know. And, of course, now, you know, Spotlight focuses on Dr. Gersh's wife. What say you? And she says, yeah, kind of. She says that. Why did I say this? Because John says that we didn't reach the parking lot before we were fired. And we were. (laughs) And we lost a half a million dollars worth of business. And what was that? The water was spent in the bottle. You know, and we just lost, as you know, Church and Dwight in the first response pregnancy test, 28% of our business last October, and we were fired. Okay, what was that? The water was spent in the bottle. So why am I telling you all this? Because in all of these instances where Dr. Gersh speaks, Nichols speaks, and Church and Dwight speaks, it's like you hear those voices, like Abraham hears the voice of Sarah, and then God says, I haven't had my say-so yet. I have something to say. So, you know, they've said, but I have something to say. And so that was the case in us. So, you know, we're still alive as a company. So, I mean, you know, but anyway, God's blessing has been tremendous. If everything goes the way it should, 
which we hope it will, then before the end of the year, the new plasma business has, is on track to maybe replace the business of uh, Church and Dwight. How does that happen? You know, get a business in one year anyway. But God has something to say. God has a say-so. And in the case of Abraham, Abraham, you heard the words of Sarah, but God has something to say. Let him have a say-so. And then in the case of Hagar, the water is spent in the bottle, and God's saying, I have something to say, Hagar. You know, you're lifting up your voice. In all these cases, what we have here is God saying, I have something to say, so don't ever say, oh, don't whatever you do, don't take the bottle of water away from me. Whatever you do, God, don't take my wife away. Whatever you do, God, don't take my husband away. Don't take my friend away. Don't take my mind away, as one person we all know said. And God says, oh, I didn't realize it was that important to you, so we have to go through the very painful learning experience, and you'll have to see the water spent in the bottle. I'm sorry. Because for all of these things, God is bringing us to the place where the hymn says, Jesus, engrave it on my heart, that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. See, God is the bottle that the water is never spent in. So they wander in the desert there, in the wilderness. And it says that in verse 14, if you notice that. It says they wandered in the wilderness. Wandered, the Hebrew word is like they reel, she reels, she staggers, she, she's like drunk, you know. Going back and forth, no idea where she's going, she's aimless. And then it says those words, in the wilderness. You know, in the wilderness is the Hebrew word bamitbar. Bamitbar. Bamitbar is, there's not wilderness. I don't know why there's wilderness. There's no trees out there. You know, there's no wilderness. There's no tree. Calling the desert a wilderness makes about as much sense as the sign on Highway 8 when you're entering Imperial Valley that says Cleveland National Forest. Bamitbar, which is here, it's a great phrase. It's a great phrase because God met Hagar bamitbar in the desert. God spoke to Hagar Bar in the desert. God promised Hagar Bar in the desert. And God provided Bar for Hagar in the desert. It's a very important phrase. And it's important for us because our life here on earth is Bar. We're in the desert here on earth. And just like Hagar, God speaks and meets and provides and promises. Bar. You know, the names of the Bible were not inspired. And there's one book that especially emphasizes how uninspired the books of the Bible are. And that's the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. Who named this? Why would you call this book the book of Numbers? Well, that's easy because there are a lot of numbers in it. See, it says a book of Numbers. Well, maybe we find another book. There's a lot of letters. Maybe we should call that the book of letters. You know, so anyway. But the Hebrew word, or the Hebrew title for the book of Numbers is much better. It's Bamidbar. It's what it is. And it's a wonderful name for a book in the desert. It's named that because the fifth word in that book happens to be Bamidbar. But by naming the book of Numbers Bamidbar, it emphasizes what God did for the Jewish people, Bamidbar, in the desert. And if you're going to keep a journal of how God speaks to you, of your devotion times, you know a good name for your journal could be Bamidbar in the desert. Actually, there's a devotional book, Streams in the Desert. But now she lifts up her... Just a moment. No, I think I'm not going to lift up my voice here. So, okay, we're going to finish. We'll start next week with it. Lord, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you for being our God, Bar in the desert. Like you were to Hagar, so you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. 
Now, Tom Cantor's offering as our resource of the month his book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. It's Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism, a tremendously well-done book by Tom Cantor. It will answer the questions on what is fatalism, what is fatalistic Calvinism, and who can resist God's will, and what are chosen and changed children, and did God predestinate people to die and just go to hell? This book will show that we're all individually faced with a personal crisis of obedience just as Joseph, Eve, and even Judas faced personal crises of obedience. Now, this book examines the character of God and His promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled? What if God lied to us? Now, the eye-opening part of this book is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, if you'd like a copy of this book from Tom Cantor, you can get this resource of the month today for a donation of $20 or more by calling us at 800 800- 247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or you can go online to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, click on resources, and there you can get Tom Cantor's materials right there available online through our bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's also available by searching for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, or Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. Again, search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. You can also receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse there on Facebook, or sign up for it to come to your cell phone or email at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org, 